electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Melissa, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, mega cap mania, several of the biggest names in this market hitting new highs again today. The largest, though, Apple hit with a rare downgrade. We'll discuss and debate the road ahead. The Nasdaq 100 hitting its highest level in more than a year today. Joining me for the hour, Joe Terranova, Liz Young, Jason Snipes, Steve Weiss, everybody in the house here at Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. All right, so let's let's hit this now. Liz Young, I'm going to go to you first. Um, we call it Mega Cap Mania because it's Microsoft, it's Apple, it's Meta, or excuse me, it's Microsoft Alphabet and Meta today are the new 52-week highs. Nasdaq's up four weeks in a row. NASDAQ 100, S&P Tech, highest level in more than a year. Mm-hmm. What do you make of it? Well, on the surface, it sounds great. It sounds encouraging. It sounds like a strong market. You always have to think about what's happening under the surface, though. And when you think about the fact that more than half of the S&P is still trading below their 52-week highs, you look at the fact that the equal weight S&P underperforming the market cap weight S&P, there's not a lot of durability or support outside of those big names. And this is an environment where we've got yields up again. We've got a Fed that continues to send sort of hawkish messages and a market that's priced in fewer rate cuts than it did about a month and a half ago. This is not really a friendly environment for multiple expansion. So I would be cautious, especially about these names that have had such a big run into the beginning of the year. All right. Perfect segue um, to Joe, because being cautious, Loop downgrades Apple, okay? It's rare that Apple gets a downgrade. They don't even, I mean, the, the stock's within 10 bucks of a, of a new high. Um, they don't even really call it a valuation downgrade. They're worried about their, the company missing their revenue number for the cu- current quarter. Um, so it's more fundamental reasons than just simply the stock's had a, a huge run off of its bottom. It's up 40% off its 52-week low, and it's only 5% off of its all-time high. What do you make of this call? I think that the possibility that their revenue contracts this quarter, I think that probability is pretty good, probably pretty high. I think the consumer is beginning to be more cost conscious, and I think that will be reflective of all consumer discretionary, all consumer staples, and certainly it applies to Apple. So I would not be surprised at all to see a revenue decline from Apple in the coming quarter. Does that mean, does that mean that the price has to have a significant subsequent decline. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily sure that's the case. And I think a lot of what's going on right now with Apple and mega cap technology and consumer discretionary and other names is nothing more than rebuilding of positions and a lot of non-discretionary, rules-based, quantitative buying that's coming into the market. And guess what? You could dismiss that. You could say that that's not logical. You could say that the quant funds coming in, they don't understand the overall environment, but they are massive. 
and they are the overwhelming majority of the fund flows into the market right now, and Apple is one of the beneficiaries. All right, Jason Snipe, um, does this call at this particular time give you pause on how you should be thinking about and how our viewers should be thinking about mega cap tech, particularly the ones that have had the kinds of run uh, that Apple has had? Yeah, so for me, I think uh, a lot of the rage has been around AI and, and safe haven and typical, in my opinion, late stage behavior where a lot of the mega cat techs names have run uh, quite a bit. I'm, I, I agree with Joe. I wouldn't be surprised by somewhat of a slowdown heading into this quarter. I mean, these are the these are the slower quarters for Apple typically as they look to the refresh cycle going into the end of the year. Um, but the stock is up 34 percent. It's trading at 29 times forward. Um, so it, it's 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 gotten it's gotten stretched as Liz was talking about earlier. A lot of the tech names have. But for me, I think I think you could potentially still see some short term run. Um, over the next few weeks as we work out the debt ceiling issue and going into the next season of earnings starting in July. Weiss, these runs in these stocks give you, give you pause. I mean, because you've, you've started to buy into some of them more recently, so they can't give you that much pause because you're buying some of them as they're already up a fairly substantial amount. In terms of like Microsoft, you bought a little last week. If you were worried about overall valuations, I, I mean, you wouldn't be making a move like that, would you? No, it would be, but uh, that's why I didn't buy a full position in it. Uh, look, it, the Apple question is sort of like uh, a non-question. Their revenue growth has been flat, basically, for the last year and a half, two years. So if they miss revenue growth, it just hasn't mattered for the stock at all, because maybe it trades down for a half a second, then people come in and buy it, and you're really buying the market. So I'm not concerned about Apple. Am I concerned to Jason's point, Liz's point, that... Um, that these are sort of blow-off tops? Uh, sure. But as I look at Microsoft, the reason I bought it is because I do think that there's a change in a important, maybe the majority of investors at this point, that are valuation agnostic, that are buying the vision for the long, long term. And that's why uniquely you're seeing these mega cap technology stocks working, because that's the language they speak, that's what they want to be in, and though they have the tailwinds with AI and balance sheet. But many of these stocks are still a significant amount off of their 52-week I'm mean, off of their all-time highs. Right. So, I mean, I told you Apple's only 5% right. and Microsoft's only 8 but Alphabet's 17.5% off of its all-time high. Amazon's 39%. That shows right. you where some of these stocks once were and how dramatically they came down and then the rally that they've had off of their at least, you know, recent low, the 52-week low, yep. has been so substantial, but there's still ways to go to get yeah. back to the mountaintop. So here's what I'd say. That the, the, the environment, the investing environment that created those all-time highs, we're not going to see that again. That comes in the, on the back end at the end of the free money era of 15 years, when multiples expanded, when the Fed was in not just accommodated, but begging you to go into risk assets. So we're not going to see that again. So the question is, what's the downside? What occasioned the downside before, generally you don't see that kind of low. So I think the risk in those stocks is somewhat minimal on a short-term basis, and the risk is non-existent on a long-term basis. The biggest risk from Apple is that Verizon and T-Mobile and AT&T come out and say, you know, we're not subsidizing it. But keep in mind, the purchase price for the average consumer of an iPhone is not $1,400. It's $200 or it's free. 
that's a compelling despite feature than not being as feature rich or new features doesn't matter. If that ever happens, then, then Apple's story is sort of done at a 28 times multiple. Most of the street isn't that concerned about where these stocks have rallied to because you get calls every day not necessarily upgrades because what would you upgrade to something you already have as a buyer, an overweight or a strong buyer conviction True. list and, you know, top of the heap, et cetera. But reiterated NVIDIA today, overweight at KeyBank, Amazon and Meta reiterated top picks at Evercore ISI, Alphabet reiterated buy at Bank of America, and the list goes on and on. Microsoft, Alphabet, NVIDIA at Cowan, Microsoft, Snowflake, Oracle at Piper. You catch my drift. Yeah, I think underneath the surface for technology this year, there's been this bifurcation that we really haven't spent a lot of time discussing. And the bifurcation goes a little bit towards what uh, Steve is addressing. And that's the effect of monetary policy on these companies. The excessive liquidity, the historically low private uh, sector borrowing costs. And that's where the bifurcation has happened. So it's not the entirety of technology that's rallying so far year to date. The Kathy Wood stocks, they're not coming back. No, of back. course. It's the mega cap stocks, why? Because the mega cap stocks, they don't need the monetary policy like those other technology companies do. And I think what you're seeing portfolio managers do is say, okay, we need to have the allocation towards technology as an overall sector. Well, we've narrowed down dramatically the list of potential candidates. Here they are, there are a select few, there's maybe 10 of them, and we can get significant exposure to technology in itself because of the large market cap size in NVIDIA, in Alphabet, in Apple. And I think that's one of the attractiveness of all of these names, and I don't see how you reverse that any time in the so near So then term. what we say at the top of the show, Jason, this mega cap mania just continues because to Joe's point, he doesn't see anything to reverse this money that continues to go into those select group of stocks? I think in the short run, I think in the short run, these, these names could continue to run. Again, I think it's, it's typical late stage behavior, like I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and as also, as we look at Q2, where earnings are expected to trial, right? Trough earnings in Q2, as we move into this third and fourth quarter, um, you know, we're, we're expected to see earnings start to revitalize again. I could continue, I could still see these names work. And again, the, the, the investor is going back to the Stallworth names, the names that have worked in the past where they've seen return. The question becomes, what's your alternative as a portfolio manager? What's the competition for mega caps? The only thing I can think of is cash. A, a cash return. Where in the market? Well, unless where can you, I find it, the competition? It depends on what your view of the economy and the market is. If you think that as a, it, let's just say if a soft landing or no landing starts to come clearer into picture, maybe then you get some of rotation to the areas that haven't worked, like the banks and energy and things like that. Yeah, I, I, dis- I disagree with that. I know that's not your premise. I disagree with that. We, we, had, we had that with cyclicals at the end of 2022. That's what was supposed to work in 2023. All right, so then the value now trade's the economy, dead again. The economy's slowing down. Well, the, the cycl- I don't see the cyclical trade working. No, I'm sorry, I don't. I don't see it working, and I certainly don't see it presenting portfolio competition for a lot of these mega caps. To, to, to Joe's point, and maybe you can answer this, Jason, but have you ever had somebody call you up and say, why the hell do you own Microsoft? Why the hell do you right. own do you own Apple? But maybe you've gotten calls like, hey, I just saw Deere's down you know, 20% in the last month. Right. What the hell are you doing with Deere? Right. And so that informs a lot of portfolio behavior, in my view. You know, it's job preservation, it's asset preservation. Well, you paint the picture for that debate. At the end of last year, 
People were off sides coming in here. Everybody was suggesting, well, no, see, this is real this time for value. This is finally it. We've waited forever since before money started falling from the from the heavens. That value is going to have its moment. Now here we are having the same conversation we were having before. Is value dead? Is it all about growth? And as part of growth, is it so uh, centralized on on those groups of uh, that, those names? Yeah. So I, I don't think value is dead. Um, but but to to Steve's point, absolutely, we're not getting that call right on questioning of ownership of these uh, very valuable mega cac tech names. And I think, again, I think this is where clients feel comfortable. These are the names that they feel comfortable with, free cash flow generation, um, these, these businesses. And then we're talking about this whole AI push, sure. right, that's very much playing out. Um, you know, in the storylines these days, and, and mega cap is obviously going to benefit from those. So what about the other, you know, broad stories in the market that, you know, the market's paying attention to, but it's not falling, you know, out of bed about is the debt duel, Liz. I mean, how, how do you think this this plays out? We've got a meeting today, 530 at the White House. I don't need I don't need you to game out the discussions and all that. In terms of how do you think, how do you think um, an, an ultimate eventual deal, because you're going to get an, an, a deal at some point. Um, might get messy before, but you're going to get a deal. Mike Wilson says the debt ceiling remains a key risk even if a deal is made, i.e. sell the news. Is it relief or is it sell the news? I think it would be short-term relief. And when you look at what's happened just in the market, if you look at credit default swaps on treasuries, right, they have increased in price because there is a non-zero probability that there's some sort of default that occurs in the next month. I think we're all very aware of what the deadline is in the near future at some point in the first week of June. But what could happen, and this is, I'll actually paint sort of a bullish case here, what could happen is they do a temporary, a temporary deal that sort of plugs the hole, fills the gap between June and let's call it August, September. Budgets are due before October. They're still going to run into a deadline before October. But if they fill that gap between June and August or September, it's possible that we end up staying in this range and you do see mega cap continue to run a little bit. There's not necessarily a huge catalyst outside of that unless there's something that none of us see coming to send us completely in the other direction. But I think that there's still risk, and maybe that's what Mike was getting at, there's still risk and fall that they haven't entirely figured it out. Is the danger sell the news twice of, of the debt ceiling, which will be temporary relief if nothing else, but does it change where the market is or where it might go? First of all, the first observation, I'm surprised they're having a meeting so close to the president's bedtime at 5.30 tonight because it's been running late. Uh, but away from that, there are a couple of positive events that could drive the market. One is that if we get sort of an okay inflation number before the Fed meeting, and they basically Powell set you up for a pause, and we're hearing others talk about it, that could be a catalyst for the market. Um, the debt ceiling, and we've never defaulted in debt. Unlikely we're going to do it now. That could be a catalyst for the market. So the answer to your question is normally that single event, you know, the debt ceiling passing it, uh, or kicking it down the road with your expensive Louboutins um, would be, could be an issue, you know, as a blow off top. I don't think that's the case right now because you have the Fed pausing as well. That could be the blow off top, however. And at that point, look, you know, my view has been bearish in the market. It's been largely right, except for a handful of stocks. I think you'll see that continue to be the case with it very dicey under the market. So if you're talking about a blow off top and the only thing that's worked, 
the mega cap stocks, maybe they have some risk to it, but I don't think it's permanent risk or significant risk. I think another concern is as high, nobody's really talking about what rates have done over the last month. They've done nothing but go up day after day. And when you come out after the debt ceiling is solved and the federal government say, let's get back to selling bonds, right? You can see rates go up further. So maybe you get 6% even with a Fed pause, and that make, I'm talking about in short-term yeah, duration, that, that makes it extremely attractive. This market has really, if you take a look at the asset flows, and Joe watches this very carefully, flows out of equities, they've been pretty significant. And despite that, we've seen the market go up, again, because of those handful of stocks. Well, what if you get uh, a so-called hawkish pause, right? So you get the June pause that everybody's talking about, but they leave you with the belief that they'll have not hesitate one bit to go in July if they have to. I mean, it's kind of what Kashkari, I think you will, by the way, I, will, I think you will get that. It's kind of it's what Kashkari was talking about exclusively this morning on Squawk Box. I think it's a close call. He said, what's important to me is not signaling we're done. If we're to skip in June, that does not mean we're done with our tightening cycle. I mean, it leads you to believe. Agreed. And yeah. Bullard, by the way, says he's thinking about two more rate hikes this year. Thank so you. this notion that they're completely done might be a, a total falsity. Um, I don't think they could ever move away from the optionality to make the return once again. So I think it has to be, if they're going to pause, they are at the same time going to signal that they have the flexibility, they have the option, they have the policy tools they need to, to make that. the return I mean, kind of once we again. Kind of know that, no, right? I we think need, they. I th- that? Uh, yeah, I think they do. I think you, you, ha- the Federal Reserve will temper the enthusiasm that the market will respond to the pause with to allow everyone to know, hey, we're still here to tackle inflation. I think the, I think the market to Weiss's point is already responding, Jason. The rates of, to, to Weiss's point have gone up, and if yeah. they keep going up. That's, that's, right. that's the debt ceiling, though. That's in right. response to a resolution. No, I think it's in both. I think it's, it's reacting to both. You've gotten, over the last week, on this network and just in general speeches, the tone of, from the Fed has been more hawkish. Right. No doubt. Right. No doubt. The only one who hasn't been quite as hawkish, you could argue, is Powell himself last week when he was sitting with Bernanke. Right. And some of the things that he said would make you believe, well, maybe, you know, he's, he's more worried about some things than some of the others have, have I mean, I think, I think the rhetoric that we heard from Kashikari had to happen. I mean, credibility is still an issue for the Fed. I think that's going to be very important. Um, that they that they vocalize what they need to to kind of keep the market at at bay, right? Um, so I'm not surprised by that at all. I do think they'll pause in June. Absolutely. Look, the PPI CPI numbers are coming down. We'll get PCE this week. We'll see what goes on. And then we've we've also seen issues within the marketplace. Obviously, the SVB issue, banking crisis. I mean, these are these. We don't know what other landmines there might be out there. So I think this is exactly what the Fed is. Well, I'll give you one landmine that may be out there and what, what is implicit in the Fed conversation and actually explicit in other comments is that the only reason they're thinking of pausing is not because they beat inflation, but now they've got this ally, right, shoulder to shoulder with them, which is the tightening of the lending cycle, both in the shadow credit markets and the regional banks. So they're just handing off to them to do the work that they want to do. I don't think there's any chance, even if inflation comes down in the, in the numbers we're looking for, even inflation comes down to, uh, you know, shows a more, a greater decline than we've seen in the past. That's just not enough for the Fed in normal times without a banking issue to say we're done. 
So I do think, as you point out, it's optionality. First of all, Fed never says, this is what we're doing no, definitely. It's always optionality. Right. So I think bulls have to be very, very, very concerned about why the Fed may pause in June. And it's not because jobs done. It's because the bank crisis is real and not over. Yeah, I just noticed too, you know, this 4,200 level is one to closely watch yet again, which we seem to be, you know, we, we want to bump up against that, you know, repeatedly, Liz. We're right there yep. again at sort of the line in the sand of the range. Yep. We can't get uh, above that. What, what gets us out of the range? Well, we got above it intraday. We just never really closed above it. Which so, is all that uh, a, really matters if right. we can close there. And There's, that's sort of a confirming signal that maybe we're going to get out of it. Yeah. But you can't do it. Well, I, I think what it shows is that there are certainly investors out there who want to get out of it and who want to get above it. I'll answer this just for myself that, you know, what would make me more bullish, what would what would lessen my cautious stance is if we continue to see services inflation come down. And that could happen. We got a really good print on services inflation last month. It could continue to come down. I'm skeptical that it will for three to four months in the future. But you also have to think about one of the things that's, I guess, set up in a positive way for inflation is that inflation peaked last June, which we heard about in July. So if you're looking at year over year data, it's going to continue to look cool as we get the next couple prints. And that's going to feel good, I think, uh, to everybody, including the Fed. But I'm still skeptical that as we get later in summer and into fall, that it won't get stuck or even pop back up. And I think the biggest risk for the Fed right now is that they pause in June and then we somehow get an inflation reading that actually goes up. Then it's this huge question mark of what are we supposed to do? Powell had committed to not engaging in that stop-start monetary policy like what happened in the 70s. That's right. I think he's trying really hard to avoid that, but he is really stuck right now between a rock and a hard place with credit stress in the market. All right, so we'll take a break in a moment. But first, Jason Snipe, you, you sold PayPal. Did. And uh, I wanted to get that in. You, Bryn sold it last week, too. Yep. The sentiment on this stock has gotten great. overwhelmingly negative. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, Scott, as I think about, um, you know, Elliot being involved, you know, with PayPal, and I think that's been a positive. However, they've been quiet uh, for the last several months. Um, Finding a CEO, a replacement CEO for Dan Schulman has not come into play, come into fruition, I should say. They also cut operational margins, which I think is a concern for me. So we decided to step away uh, for now. Let's see what, ha what happens over the next couple quarters. All right. So let's uh, sneak in a break. Up next, shares of one U.S. chip maker are lowered today after China says it poses a major security risk. Christina Partsinevelos is following that story for us. We'll do it next. It's our chart of the day. We're back on the half in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
Let's show you our chart of the day now. Mentioned it's Micron. Those shares are lower. There you go, by near 3% on a China sales ban. Our Christina Partsinevelos joins us now with exactly what is dragging these shares lower. Christina. Yeah, it was pretty quick, right? Because it was only two months ago uh, that China's cybersecurity regulators said that they were going to review Micron. And now they've said that they're restricting network and infrastructure related memory chips made by Micron. Micron management spoke this morning and says they don't know the exact products included, but they believe that it will not include PC and smartphone chips, which is honestly the biggest market in China when compared to infrastructure chips for the company. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, shares are falling, but they're coming off of the uh, lows early this morning, Micron CFO said this morning, too, that they anticipate the band's impact to revenue would have a max high single digit impact. So if you include all entities, Chinese, non-Chinese that are based in China, then the impact could actually be about 25 percent of total revenues for now. They haven't changed their guidance for the quarter. An overhang, though, Scott, it could lead Chinese smartphone customers to slowly change their supply chain away from Micron, affecting future sales. But this is something we wouldn't see right away. Micron is part of the big three players who build memory chips, including Samsung and SK Hynix. The U.S. has asked the South Korean chip makers, SK Hynix, Samsung, not to do business with China for now. It seems like they're going to largely ignore that request. That was per a FT article this morning. Uh, a point of negotiations, for the U.S., all of these companies rely on equipment from U.S. semicap suppliers. So some, somebody, or eventually, all, many of them are going to have to play ball. But you can see how intertwined all of these supply chains are. Yeah. Uh, but an important distinction, though, that you made, uh, Christina, about the types of chips that Micron has and the importance that the different segments mean to, to the overall bottom line. So I'm glad you did that. Thank you. And we'll see you in just a bit uh, later on. That's Christina Partsinevola. So what do we do, Joe, if you have expo I mean, this is just a is a reminder yet again of doing business in China is in many cases not like doing business in other uh, large markets around the world. I would agree. Quite with obviously. Yes. Uh, but what does bit. that mean, though, for the exposure if you have a lot of chip stocks like you do, NVIDIA, AMD, Texan, you've got a bunch in uh, the Joe T as well. Well, I think it's a little bit of a retaliation against the U.S. export controls. And the first thing that you do is you study percentage of revenue from the chip makers and you uh, immediately see that Micron is at 11%. There are five chip makers that have more significant revenue exposure, Qualcomm, Broadcom, Intel, AMD, and NVIDIA. Now, obviously, AMD is a stock which I have been advocating on the network over the last three weeks for. I took a position at $95. I've been advising the viewers to do the same thing. I quickly studied AMD today to see what the performance was, and I was rather impressed with the intraday price action. So I think you fall back on, okay, memory chips themselves, are they a cybersecurity risk? Think about them. Do they run on code? No. Do they have specific software affiliated with them? No, they don't. So how could they be such a significant cybersecurity risk? The answer to that is that they cannot. I think you go and study these companies and you identify the ones that will be winners. AMD is one of those. And on Wednesday, we're going to hear from another. And that's NVIDIA. Weiss? You know, there's a history between Micron and Chinese government. Uh, they. Uh, Micron sued United Microelectronics, Chinese government-owned company, for stealing trade secrets, and they were found guilty. You know what China's response was? To shut down Micron in about 20 percent of the country. So this goes back and forth a long time. To me, it's, it's, it's the Chinese government basically saying, hey, we've heard the U.S., we've heard you tell South Korea, Hynix, others not do business with us. We're going to test that now. 
because now we're going to go to them for business. So this is just another flashpoint in the war of you know technology. But you've owned Micron at times before. I, I have, and I like company, but at the end of the day, for what we keep hearing from them is that inventories are not in the shape they should be in. Hasn't mattered to the stock. It's moved up even after what was a disastrous quarter. Is that a broad statement you would make about other chip named? Are you talking it about is, chips is. in general and in inventories? I am, and we've heard that time and time again. The stocks get hit like Qualcomm did, like Corvo did, like Skyworks did, and guess what? They bounce back. So that's where people want to be. So, and by the way, you know, the bull case when I really owned the semis broadly was that they're now part of the industrial revolution. It's not just about PCs anymore. That's true. But the other side of that is it makes them more vulnerable during economic downturns. Which we obviously saw, but those stocks yeah. are a long way from where they were in the, you know, the height of the, the, yes. the pullback in the market for certain. Deservedly so, though, because look what's happened to the earnings. They've gotten crushed. So the multiples have not really changed. Jason Snipe, NVIDIA this week, right? Yeah, yeah, I, in which I, I think it's going to be positive. Obviously, NVIDIA well, it better be. Yeah, it has to be in a lot of ways. But I mean, the, the, stock, the stock performance this year has been amazing. I mean, the stock is up 116%. But what I will say about NVIDIA is, especially as it relates to AI, you know, when we think about a, a company that just serves as the infrastructure and support for the GPU chip being such high demand for what they do every day and all these companies relying on them for support to grow their AI technology. NVIDIA sits in the, right in the middle of the crosswalk with that. I can't wait till they report uh, because given what's happened with AI related stocks and that one, you know, obviously the run that it's had off of its lowest levels, that is gonna be the best tell near term on where these stocks may go uh, in the weeks ahead just for sheer bounce alone. I can't wait for that. All right, let's get the headlines with Bertha Coombs. Bertha. Hey, Scott, thanks very much. Here's what's happening at this hour. South Carolina Senator Tim Scott kicking off his campaign for president this morning. Scott criticized the left during his announcement and told supporters what he plans to do differently. They're attacking our American values, our schools, our economy, and our security. But not on my watch. Not on my watch. That won't work. There was another shakeup in the 2024 election today. Delaware Senator Tom Carper announced that he's retiring next year and will not seek re-election. The four-term 76-year-old Democrat is the fourth Senate Democrat to announce plans to retire at the end of this term. And the NAACP issuing a travel advisory for Florida, claiming the state is openly hostile toward African-Americans. Civil rights organizations said the advisory is in response to Governor Ron DeSantis's, quote, aggressive attempts to erase black history from Florida schools. No comment yet from the DeSantis administration. Halftime Report returns after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Let's go to Seema Modi now with today's ETF Edge. Seema. Scott, no shortage of telling signals coming out of China over the last week as the world's largest economy remains somewhat on rocky footing between manufacturing data missing the mark and retail sales coming up short, but still rising at their fastest pace in more than two years. Not to mention major China tech names and earnings from the likes of Baidu and Tencent showing signs of life after a very challenging 2022. How are investors to read the reopening story right now? Let's ask two experts in the ETF industry. That's Brendan Ahern, CIO of Crane Shares, Will Ryan, founder and CEO of Granite Shares. And Brendan, you watch these names so closely on a daily basis. What are you seeing right now? It certainly seems like you're seeing a incremental rebound of China's consumer that out of the zero COVID regime, consumer confidence is building slowly. Uh, I think you're going to see that Q1 is better than Q4, Q2 is going to be better than Q1, that consumer confidence will build over time. And certainly you're seeing that from companies in the management calls for the Q1 earnings that many of them are speaking to how Q2 is already outpacing what they saw in Q1, which was better than Q4. So, so again, incremental growth really focused around China's domestic consumption. So I guess you'd kind of have to play the long-term story here. Will, you run several big commodity ETFs like the Granite Shares, Gold Trust, ticker BAR. We've seen rockiness in this recovery reflected in base metal prices, which have fallen. So what is your sense of how things will stand? I think for the moment, until the debt ceiling gets resolved one way or the other, we're still going to have pressure on the copper price and the base metals. You know, gold is still the only major metal to remain in the green so far. And I think hopefully we get past the debt ceiling and we can get back to fundamentals. But as Brendan said, you know, the Chinese consumer is a huge part. China is a huge part of this story. And we need to see some more demand there, particularly for the base metals. See some good numbers from the energy sector, particularly the last couple of months. But we need to start seeing that coming through in terms of copper and other base metals as well. Makes sense. Will and Brendan, thank you. We will have much more on this China reopening story. 1 p.m. Eastern, Vetify's Todd Rosenbluff will join our panel to weigh in on what the flows are telling us about investor expectations for a real recovery in the region. All ahead on ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. All right, Seema, thank you. Seema Modi coming up. Citi is watching for downside risk in one retail stock that's already slid more than 10% in just a month. It's our call of the day, and it is next. to our call of the day now. City opening a negative catalyst watch on Nike that follows Foot Locker's huge miss last week. They say a slowdown in the athletic market reflects poorly on Nike's growth prospects. So n- nobody owns it. All right. I want to know why you own it. 
added it to Joe T. Oh, you added, added it to Joe T. Added it back into Joe T. We were out in October. So that means you own it personally too, or just the I don't T? Own it. I don't own it probably. I mean, given the significance of what I own in Joe T, it, I mean, you could basically say that I own it personally. So, um, but means okay. I own it too, by the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> we were out of it in October of uh, okay. 21 at 167. Mm -hmm. Bought it back at 126. That's a terrible buy when you look at where it is right now today. Um, there's fundamental validity in the concerns shared in this research note. Obviously, Foot Locker's guidance on Friday and the inventory overhang is a significant concern. Um, the eight holdings that we have in consumer discretionary, besides Lululemon and Nike, it, we've kind of stayed away from apparel. This is apparel. And even Lululemon is not trading well lately. So quite candidly, it falls back upon the supportive te uh, technical formation that's in place. The line in the sand is between 108 and 110. It's at 111.66 as we speak. Does it hold the technical support? We'll find out soon enough. If it doesn't, then you have a stock that's broken fundamentally and broken technically. You know, what's also interesting on, on Nike, if you go into Dick's Sporting Goods, you see major displays of Hoka, which are like the Doc Martens of sneakers, because they're so freaking ugly, but people love them. And you also see on cloud. So I don't How know. How many total things or people are you trying to offend in one 60-minute period of Scott, television? Because it started right at the top, and here we are, 42 and a half minutes in, and it, you just it, keep going. This is all a warm-up to getting to you. But, uh, but you can do but that the, at the, 102. The, 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 the point is, you mean publicly at 102? Go ahead. Okay. The point is, is that I don't know right now the sort of pimples on an elephant's rear end, but it's showing that the consumers are open to other products and they are making headway and they are getting there. So, but going back to Joe's point, look, the high-end consumer class by itself, lower-end consumer, I think they're going to be looking for value. So whether you stop buying, Joe, what are you laughing at? So whether they stop buying sneakers or not, they'll definitely trade down to lower price and lower margin for Nike products. Jason, no Nike? No Nike for me. I mean, I've been very selective in, in retail in particular. For us, it's MGM, Marriott. Right. So I like cross-border travel as it relates to Marriott and, you know, what I see there as a profitable fee business. And I think the incremental return of the corporate traveler could be positive. Uh, MGM, competitive market. It's performed very well this year. Very little exposure to Macau. Wynn has done really nicely in that sector. But those, that's really the exposure that we have. Liz, how are you thinking about consumer-related stocks? <sighs> I think that we are slowly getting messages from companies that the consumer has slowed down, has pulled back. Plus, you add that on top of we know that credit card debt has increased monumentally since the end of last year. And now you're seeing delinquencies stretch out a little bit longer. So some slow deterioration in that credit card debt. I think the consumer is being cautious and consumers can change their mind on a dime. It's really difficult for companies to keep up with that from an inventory standpoint. We heard a little bit about that earlier in the year. I think we're going to continue to hear about that as the year goes on. I mean, in terms of performance by sectors, it's like one of the best stories not told enough in terms of discretionary stocks this year. It's all tech all the time, but all comm services all the time. Amazon and Tesla, Tesla. Are, it's Tesla. are a big contributor to that. 
um, go underneath the surface in the uh, surface in the sector. And what's remarkable is the home builders, the performance of the yeah, home builders. Right. Um, yeah. Whether it's Dr. Horton or the Lennar, they're near all-time highs. Well, right. not the, even the, that. The, it's it's the the yeah. divergence. I wrote about this last week. The divergence between home builder stocks and what lumber has done. If lumber is a leading indicator for the housing market, home builder stocks have completely taken off. One of them is going to be wrong. Right. Yeah, I was just going to say, the inventory situation also is going to be causing the auto companies. So with the supply chain easing, that's going to cause prices to come down, margins to come down. All right. Up next, Mike Santoli. He'll be with us for his midday word. We'll see you in two minutes. Our senior markets commentator, Mike Zentoli, there he is with his midday word. And, you know, aside from stocks, I'm really looking at yields, which have been going up, as Steve Weiss said, feels like almost every day. One month over 5%, three month over 5%, six month over 5%, and now the one year is over 5%, and the others are creeping higher too. Yeah, I mean, kind of uh, steadily repricing in this direction of, okay, the economy is a little firmer. Uh, We're talking about a a skipped meeting uh, for another tightening move rather than uh, a pause and some cuts to come. But I think one of the things, too, to pull out of that is the way this market has been very good so far, compartmentalizing the anxiety. So it's at the very short end of the Treasury bill curve that seems to be where the debt ceiling worry is located. You know, we had this credit crunch fear, and it would mostly just hit the regional bank stocks, and that's starting to relax higher uh, right now. And so I do think that, you know, this is probably maybe your best case for how the market can absorb some of these uh, feared shocks and, uh, and actually keep uh, propelling forward. And, you know, again, we see small caps outperforming today. So some of that broadening out of the market is occurring. It's definitely tentative. You can't say uh, you can necessarily extrapolate it continuing, but it is keeping the market uh, kind of in this healthy state. For everything the S&P has done, uh, even the equal-weighted S&P uh, has struggled. Uh, the overall index has maintained uh, this low, even recently on these pullbacks, above what's now uh, trending higher 50 and 200-day moving average. It's a different setup. The S&P total returns almost 10% or 9% over the last 12 months. There's going to be a nice test this week of sorts, too, Wednesday after the bell when NVIDIA reports just given all of the talk, the hype, and the gains that we've seen in all of these stocks. Yes, I I agree with that, although I think it's mostly high stakes for NVIDIA itself. Uh, If somehow uh, they they come out of me, look, we've heard from from the CEO not that long ago, I don't think they're going to be the ones to raise the yellow caution flag on this stuff. But, yeah, the way that people have just decided that's the one-way trade is to buy uh, NVIDIA to play everything certainly could be challenged if the numbers are anything but stellar. All right, good stuff. Thank you. I'll see you in a couple hours on Closing Bell. That's Mike Santoli, our senior markets commentator. Up next, the earnings setup on a few big stocks to watch. Remember, we just talked about NVIDIA. It's not the only one. We're back after this. More earnings, including tomorrow morning before the bell, Jason Snipe lows. Yeah. How do you feel about that after Home Depot last week? 
Concerned? Concerned, to be honest with you. I mean, he's shaking. You, he's nervous. There you go. <laughs> That's because he's sitting next to you, but please continue. Hopefully uninterrupted. Uninterrupted. Go ahead. Exactly. Um, you know, biggest miss for, for revenue for HD in 20 years uh, this quarter. So there's definitely concerns for Lowe's for me. Um, I believe in Marvin Ellison. I think he's really worked hard in digitizing the business. Um, they have worked on growing that pro contractor business. So it was up 10% last quarter. I don't think this quarter is going to be great, but I, I like their upside going forward. What about AutoZone, which is also tomorrow before the bell, which you own too? Yeah. So I think about AutoZone and I think about what's going on with you cars business and, and new sales for, for autos. Um, the average car on the road is 12 and a half years old. Their focus is on commercial business, really growing their commercial business. I still like this name here. I think that I think there's upside as well. It's like a rapid fire with you. Uh, Palo Alto is Busy tomorrow week. after the bell, which you own. Yeah. yeah. What, what do you think of that one? So a little bit of a downtick on appliance demand. Um, I think I think the uh, software business will be strong. I think billings will be up. Also, they've had three profitable quarters in a row. I know we talk about profitability all the time for this name. They haven't been profitable for a decade. This potentially will be their fourth profitable quarter in this in this this one. This you one. like cyber. You just like a different stock. CrowdStrike, with it without question. Uh, fundamentally, their ability to capture market share, I think, is why this stock should trade at a premium. And then the technical perspective, they've recaptured the positive momentum, broken out above its 200-day moving average first time since September of 2022. Take a look at this stock. I think where it is right now, 147, it moves higher towards 170 to 175. It's not like Palo Alto shareholders are, you know, having a bad year relative they, to CrowdStrike. Both not. of these stocks are up almost in tandem. Absolutely, as is Fortinet as yep. well. These are three very strong cyber stocks. But I think that there's more potential for alpha generation in CrowdStrike. Okay, uh, quick break. Final trades, they're coming up next. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Hope you join me on Closing Bell, 3 o'clock Eastern today. Eric Woodring, he picked up the Apple coverage from Morgan Stanley from Katie Huberty, so he's going to be with us on a day where Apple did get that downgrade. So we'll discuss the road ahead there. Adam Parker, Leslie Picker is following J.P. Morgan's Investor Day. So she's going to join us, as will Gabriela Santos, and we'll get you set up for that debt ceiling meeting, which takes place at 5.30 Eastern at the White House between the president and the speaker, and all that's riding on that. Uh, let's do some final trades. Weiss, you first. Thank you, Scott. Don't insult final trades. Just do it. I'm, I'm not Please. insulting anybody. I've done enough of that today. Uh, short end of the curve. So six-month T-bills, you can go a year, two years. To me, it's a gift at 5% plus. All right. Thank you for that. Jason Snipe. I'm going to give you Netflix. Uh, Five million ads on the ad-supported tier. This is working. I like it here. Liz Young. This is going to sound like a departure for me, but emerging markets, this particular ETF, cheaper than peers, less China than peers, has some small caps in it. Think dollar weakness and look outside the U.S. You like EM? I like EM. I like EM debt a little bit more than I like EM equities right now. Okay, why don't you like EM equities? Uh, I think EM equities could be challenged if the Federal Reserve stays a little bit longer with their policy. Okay, final trade. 
Final trade is going to be on semiconductor. That is without question my favorite semi right now. It trades at a reasonable valuation at 16 times. Look for this stock to break out into the 90s. Okay, and we'll see if uh, the S&P can break out above 4,200. That's the big question. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.